And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. He said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that, if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Shape 
Mark 15, verses 1 through 22. And as soon as it was morning, the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council. And they bound Jesus and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered them, You have said so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. And Pilate began asking him, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you. But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate was amazed. Now at the feast, he used to release for them one prisoner for whom they asked. And among the rebels in prison who had committed murder in the insurrection, there was a man called Barabbas. And the crowd came up, And began to ask Pilate to do as he usually did for them. And he answered them, saying, Do you want me to release for you the king of the Jews? For he perceived that it was out of envy that the chief priest had delivered him up. But the chief priest stirred up in the crowd to have him release for them Barabbas instead. And Pilate again said to them, Then what shall I do with the man you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. And Pilate said to them, Why? What evil has he done? But they shouted all the more, Crucify him. So Pilate, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them Barabbas, and having scourged Jesus, 
he delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed him in a purple cloak, and twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him, and they began to salute him. Hail, king of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed, and spitting on him, and kneeling down in homage to him. And when they had mocked him, they stripped him of the purple cloak, and put his own clothes on him. And they led him out to crucify him. And they compelled a passerby, Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to carry his cross. And they brought him to the place called Golgotha, which means place of a skull. Would you stand and join us in a sacred head, no wounded? joy can never be spoken 
you to stay standing as we read the next scripture. Luke chapter 23 verses 32 to 43. Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching. But the rulers scoffed at him, saying, he saved others, let him save himself. If he's the Christ of God, his chosen one, and the soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him. This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed against him and said, are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him saying, do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure, that he should give his only son to make a righteous treasure. Turns his face away 
as wounds which mar the chosen one. Bring many sons to glory. Upon his shoulders, ashamed I hear my mocking voice call out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. His dying breath has brought me life. I know that it is finished. It's finished love. I will not boast in in Jesus Christ, His death and resurrection. Why should I gain from His reward? I cannot give an answer, but this I know with all my heart. His words have paid my Why should I gain from his reward? I cannot give an answer. But this I know with all my heart. His words have paid my ransom. Please be seated. Our sermon text is from Philippians chapter 3, verses 8 through 11. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. This is God's word. So this morning, Jen and I, since we both work on Sunday now, wow, um, yeah, since we both work on Sunday, we, we went to pick up Easter lunch. 
And we found this place. I'm not going to say the name because the story kind of goes down. Um, but we found this place where we could get, you know, some meat and some sides. And it's for a family for 12 to 16 people. So we get there, we pick it up, and I, I, I notice the sides. They're in these packages, and I flip them over, and we have one thing of mac and cheese, and it's served two and a half people. And then the mashed potatoes are five people, and the broccoli's eight people. I'm like, we're a strange family, <laughs> you know? And I get, I'm like, babe, there's no way this is going to feed our family. But it said 12 to 16 people, or 10 to 16, something like that. So I went in, and I told them, and she was so compassionate. Didn't give me anything, of course. But then we, we left there, and I, I bought some more sides, right, because we didn't want the travesty on our hands. And so on the way, though, we literally called the place and just told them, like, I think it's false advertising. Like, it feels like a bait and switch to say that. And she said, oh, that's just the meat that serves that many. Well, why would you give the sides? You know, it just makes no sense in some ways. And, you know, as I was reflecting on that, doesn't our faith kind of feel that way sometimes? If we're honest, doesn't it feel that sometimes it said it would feed 12 to 16 people, but it's, it, it's only 13 of them? Sometimes, sometimes that's how I feel with Jesus. I, I feel like maybe Christianity is a bait and switch. Maybe there's all these promises and all these things that we say are true, but I don't see them in my life. Wow, my marriage is hard. Man, parenting is killer. And then look at the world. The, the thing that happens at the capital of the day, like all this stuff going on. God, are you asleep? What is going on? Sometimes it feels that way, if we're honest, right? You know, how, how can we understand? How do we understand the world we live in today, what we experience, sometimes even daily, hourly, by minute, and, and the reality of Scripture, the reality of this day? And there's, a, there's a, a lady named Barbara Johnson who, she said that, she said this in a quote, that we are Easter people living in a Good Friday world. And I've entitled our homily tonight that because I think that's exactly how we understand our world today, is that we are Easter people. Easter's, Easter's coming this Sunday, we, we know, right? But we are Easter people living in a Good Friday world. That this world is a tough place. Life is really hard. And how, how can we have a good perspective when life is so hard right now? Well, that's why we're here tonight. Tonight is about perspective. But it's not just about perspective. Tonight is about participation. We, we have Good Friday, and, and we, we want to slow down, and we want to consider what, what happened on Good Friday. What is Good Friday about? Because Easter is the most momentous day, the most wonderful day in the history of the world, but we can't forget Easter can't happen without Good Friday. Easter morning can't happen without this day. So let's slow down. That's why we're here. That's why we're in darkness here. We, we are asking the Lord that the, the darkness, the songs, this passage, the solemnness of this hour would take us into what this day is about. And what is that? On this day, between noon and three, the God of the world, who became flesh in Jesus, the sinless one, 
He first was betrayed by a kiss from the tomb. The kiss of death is where we get that saying from. He got the kiss of death. He was then captured. He was then condemned. He was then beaten. Do you know that scripture says that the slaves beat him? You know what? The slaves are usually the ones that take the beating. Even the lowest of the earth were beating Jesus. They beat him. They flogged him. They spit on him. They mocked him. And they put his cross on his back after the crown of thorns. And they had him walk this horrible road. Please, please allow the space to begin to grow as Jesus walks that road and stumbles and makes it all the way up. He takes his cross to the place where he can now be laid on it to be nailed to it. And then that cross is raised and slowly, if you don't know, you, you know how it kills you. You don't bleed to death. You suffocate to death. Literally, as he's there, he loses his strength and he drops. And as he drops, his ribs push into his lungs, and slowly he suffocates to death. And on and on, he's there. And that that would be enough, but even bigger than that. Our sin, what we started looking at on Ash Wednesday, our sin, our rebellion, our pride, our ego, our arrogance, anxiety, our refusal to trust, our lack of submission, doing things our own way, all of that is laid on him. All of that that was was to be judged, that, that God promised there would be death if you ate from the fruit. Everything that humanity deserved fell on this man, this God-man. So physically horrendous, spiritually horrific, emotionally read it in a minute, that final moment, the, the ultimate abyss that he enters. God, my God, the only time he ever called his father God. My God, my God, why have thou forsaken me? That's what happened to God. Our sin led him and that's why we slow down. That's why we slow down. That's why we cut the lights off. We, we want all of this to begin to capture us because there, there's so much space. Ian read it. Though we don't see him, we prayed it. We don't see him, we believe in him. If we don't see him clearly. Our world is a tough place, and so we have to slow our hearts down. We have to slow our lives down and, and allow the, the weight of this day to become our perspective. And so how, how did Jesus do it? We're gonna, I have two points to this. But they're not traditional points. They, these points have so much to do with each other. I'm just going to interplay them back and forth. But it's perspective and participation. Perspective, participation. And I'm going to use a few verses. Listen to this from Matthew 9, 36. It says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, Jesus had this ability 
He had this ability to look at these crowds and see their true need. He saw how helpless they were. He saw what they really needed. They needed a shepherd. He had a perspective to see us in our needs, in our hardships, and he had the desire to shepherd us. His perspective was on us. Next verse, you know it well. Hebrews 12, 2, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Why did he go? Why did he, dis- why did he go to the cross? Even though he despised the shame, the joy set before him. It's those helpless, needy sheep. He made, they were his joy. We are his joy. His perspective was on us. And then he's sitting at the table on Maudie Thursday, which was yesterday. It's when he washed his feet. I just preached on it. He's sitting at the table with him. And what does he say? He says this. He says, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of this vine until that day when I drink it new with you in the Father's kingdom. His eyes were on us and on what he would gain through the resurrection. The Father's kingdom. One day, the Father's kingdom would come back and he will feast with us. He will feast. We will see him as he is and we will be who we truly are on that day. And he said, I won't drink this again until that day. That day. His eyes were on that day. So his perspective led to his participation. Him seeing us. Him seeing that day. Him obeying his father and for what he sent him led to him staying on the cross. Him going and staying on the cross for us. And Paul breaks this down in Philippians 2, which is not our passage. Our passage tonight is Philippians 3. Philippians 2 is all about this. Paul, Paul talks about him that day. He's, he was a servant. He, 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 although he was God, he didn't take those rights. He became a servant, right? He became a servant and he gave his life, obedient to death on the, Christ, on the cross. And what happens after that death? God exalts him. And then Philippians 3 is our passage. And the strangest thing, the way Paul describes Christ in Philippians 2, he now puts his own life in the same way. There, it's almost as if he's saying the same thing about himself that he says about Jesus. And, and it's because he is. Because on this day, on Good Friday, and then Easter, what we learn is a pattern. A pattern. There is a pattern for those who would follow Jesus. Listen to this, this verse. It says that uh, Luke 9, 23 says, if anyone would come after me, he must take up his cross and follow me. Right? There's this thing called the bridge diagram. Maybe some of you have seen it. I was taught this with Campus Outreach to share my faith. And it's Romans six twenty three: For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. God, though, is perfect. We have sin. We, we can't get there. The rest of the verse tells us how, through Christ Jesus. And you've seen it. There's these two chasms drawn. And then through Christ Jesus, there's this big cross drawn in the middle. And we have this idea, oh, wages and death get you guys drunk. I'll just walk across the bridge. I'm, I'm on that side. But that's not what Jesus says. He says, if you come after me, you take up your cross and follow me. So Good Friday introduces a pattern into the life of the believer. And it turns out it's not a bait and switch. It's not that if you follow him and for us that that have have said, yes, Lord, I want to follow you, that there is now a pattern that we need a new perspective for. We need a perspective because we want to participate. Right. 
The same perspective that made him participate has to do that with us. And that's why we're here tonight. To get that perspective. Verse 10 is the one I'm going to hang out on just for a moment. He says that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. We'll read it again. That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Everything I read on this says that I may know him. That, that first of all, Paul's reiterating. He said it in the passage multiple times. I don't have time to go into it, but this is his personal relationship with Jesus. It's so personal. I want to know him. But not only that, because I know him, I want to be like him. I want to be like him. And so how will he be like him? The power of the resurrection that comes in what? Fellowshipping in his suffering and death. Sharing in his suffering and his death. Friends, it's our pattern. It's what he invites us into. Jesus endured the cross, but his followers have a cross too. And tonight, we fix our eyes on him. We, we, our perspective becomes him. So that we are empowered to participate in our own sufferings, our own hardships. Because in them we get the power of the resurrection. He says the same power that raised Christ from the dead will raise your bodies. Will raise you. And so what does this mean? What does it mean to, to fellowship, to share in, to participate in his sufferings? If our perspective is suffering is here and it's important to make us like him, not only not just the relationship, but to make us like him, what will they look like? A few things. Paul says, first of all, get out your ledger. Get it out. Remember, he starts saying, I count this and that. And, this. and he says, oh, oh, Philippians, you, you want to count? You, you want to talk about identity? Well, I've I got more reason to boast than any of you. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I'm a Pharisee. As to zeal, none was more zealous than me. And he goes on and on, and he gives it. But then he says, I count it all rubbish, filth, excrement, crap, to use one of our words, in, in comparison with the beauty of knowing him. That on this side of the ledger, yes, there's all of this that w- once was gained for me, but I count it as nothing now because of the surpassing greatness of knowing him. He says, get out your ledger. That everything that tempts us, everything that would draw our hearts away from him to count it as rubbish. And how do you do that? He's got to become more weighty. He's got to become more beautiful. What what he's done, there's got to be more gratefulness and more thankfulness so that we can count, have the perspective to count it as rubbish, to count it as loss, the loss of all things, he says. The ledger has to come out, but we're here and we're putting our eyes on Jesus so that our hearts are ready to to count it like that. So that's the first one. The second one, the sufferings. Everything I read says there, the the sufferings of our daily lives. They're the hardships we go through, the ruptures, the, the struggles in our families, the strife in our marriages, the battle with health issues, the struggles with our kids, the, the, the loneliness for longing for, for someone to be married to. All of those things, there, there are sufferings that we meet daily. And some of them are, are, first of all, reactive. There are things that come along and we're not ready for them, right? Can we, as they come, have this perspective? Have this perspective that God is using all things for our good, as Romans 8 says. All things. 
can we have the perspective that suffering, no matter what it is and how hard it comes, it will be for our good. It will make us more like him. Can our perspective be on that? That's first of all, reactive, but now proactive. What does proactive suffering look like? Well, how many of you are anxious, fearful, prideful, arrogant? My wife confronted me on something last night, and I bet you I was defensive for an hour. An hour. My ego would not let it go. And finally, I broke. Finally, I was able to to give in and repent for what she was calling out in me. I just said that the other day, too. I know you go, man, they fight all the time. (laughs) But uh, we do. I mean, there's good conflict in our home. But the, the proactive pursuit of this is, it's not waiting, not just allowing us to stay arrogant, to stay anxious, to stay fearful, but to pursue it. Where did this come from? How did you get to this day? And here at City Church, we want to we be a safe place for you to pursue those things in you because those are the parts of us that must die to live again. If not, here's what happens. And it's a good example in my home. For so long, my kids have paid for my sin. They're, they're, I get frustrated with them. There's hardships. You know, they, you know, they're kids, right? Things happen, and, and I get mad because now they need me, and I have to do this, and I have to do that, but I'm tired, and I want to sit down. Literally yesterday, one of my sons blew up a, a can of paint all over a brand-new TV. And I go in, and I have a choice, right? Like, I can make him die for this. I can make him pay for this, or I can stay here. I can stay in this place. Where I can love him in this place where he is so ashamed and wants to hide it. But not make him die, but allow Jesus to die for my anger and my frustration and this TV, you know? We, we have that choice. But, but it doesn't feel like a choice until Jesus is a part of it. Instead, it's just reaction. It's just anger. It's just struggle. It's just anxiety. It just takes over us. He says, no, bring it here. Can you have the perspective to participate in the sufferings and the deaths. Tonight is about doing that because you have a Savior that went to the cross for you. You have a Savior that was high and lifted up and died for you, and He is how we can participate in this world that is Good Friday because He, he, he brings us Easter Sunday. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you are on that cross and not us that ultimate cross, Lord, that we could, we could never die enough deaths to pay for what we owe. Lord Jesus, rescue us from even bleeding and pain. Lord, tonight, we, we, we Spirit, want to see you. So, Holy Spirit, intersect with your word. Draw our hearts. Give us a new perspective. Give us your perspective so that we can hang in in this Good Friday world we live in. Jesus, we want to see you tonight. We want to worship in deeper ways. And so use the silence now, use the confession now to draw our hearts to that place, to give us that perspective and that power for participation with you. The word confession is all about telling the truth. It's, it's our practice of living in reality. And every day we have to fight to live in reality, don't we? Right? We, you know, sometimes we, you know, we'll be with people and they're like eternal optimists. And, you know, sometimes you can have an Eeyore complex and that's not necessarily a good thing. 
But you know what it's like. And you're like, man, that, that's just not living in reality. And you can, then you can swing the pendulum the other way. What confession does is it locates us rightly in reality. It acknowledges that we can't be eternal optimists. Certainly not without hope. The hope of the cross and the empty tomb. But it also means that but we can also have joy. Confession isn't just about, oh, uh, uh, woe is me, woe is me for, for the harm that I've done. Because as Christians, uniquely, we know how the story ends. Why? We read the passage earlier. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he breathed his last, and he died for our sin. And so that means that every time we confess, we can also have joy. And so I want to invite you in this confession that will be up on the screen. We're going to use this as we always do on Sunday mornings together. And there will be some time of silence on, on, the, uh, on the back side of this before I pray. But I want to invite you to be sobered tonight, but also full of joy, for you know how the story ends. So let's now, with freedom of knowing that the grace of Jesus Christ Let's now use this together, this confession. Merciful Father, we meet each other this evening at the foot of the cross. There we see you dying and taking the judgment we deserve. Help us slow down and be present with you now. Holy Spirit, convict our hearts over the ways we find life apart from you. Forgive us for our lack of gratitude and distant hearts. Lord Jesus, we need your perspective. Help us see that we are the joy that kept you on the cross. Give us hearts that find life in you and that willingly participate in the sufferings that we find in our daily lives. Help us have hearts that no longer turn away, but that walk in the power of your resurrection. Amen. Pray silently now. For the joy set before you. For the joy set before you. He endured the cross. Our patience was long-suffering. You allowed yourself to be torn apart so that we wouldn't have Jesus, you have put us back together again on the other side of brokenness. And so we live in that tension of living as realists, Christian realists, living in a broken world, but also having joy because you have joy. Make your joy complete in us on the other side of bearing the weight of sin as you did for us. May we be sober tonight as we walk out of here in a few minutes in silence, but, but uh, we give thanks tonight that your sacrifice was a true once and for all sacrifice for all time. 
and that we're now free to live as followers of Jesus, as Paul said in that passage in Philippians, to take hold of the resurrection. And so, Lord, thank you that you've heard the cries of our heart tonight. Thank you that we've heard the word preached tonight, prayed, sung. Lord, your word will never return void. That is your promise. And so now, cut to the marrow of our hearts, Holy Spirit, tonight. We pray this in your name, Lord Jesus, resurrected one. Mark chapter 15, verses 33 to 39. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it had said, behold, he's calling Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last, and the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that, that in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. Death and 
Won't you stand and sing this with me? Matthew 27, 57 through 61. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock. And he rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb and went away. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. sing this out together, the wonderful cross. And as we wrap up this song, we just invite you to leave tonight in silence, reflection. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the
soul. 